And we get to hear a word this morning from the gracious Savior of our ruined life. Praise God. If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Took a break last week, uh, focus on uh, God's mission in the world, and we're back. Regular, regularly scheduled programming. <clears throat> so we're going to finish up Moses' third sermon in Deuteronomy. We're getting close to the end. Um, but these are um, some of his last words to the people of Israel. Um, they are lasting ones. So if you turn there, let's read together. We're going to read the whole chapter. If you will, if you're able, would you stand as we read God's word? Deuteronomy chapter 30. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he'll bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he'll prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you, and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, and the offspring of your body, and the offspring of your cattle, and the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you're entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Let's pray. 
Father, we praise you. We thank you for this clear word from your scripture. Pray, God, that you would move us, um, that you would help us to see more of who you are, help us to know you more, God, help us to respond in kind. We praise you in Jesus' name. Let's be seated. So this passage, which is a rich one, gives insight into the character of God, the who God is. And then it goes beyond that and it shows his people how we ought to respond to his character. So we see more of who God is, then we also see more of how we should act in light of who he is. Um, so the goal this morning is to see more of who God is and how he acts and to respond in that way, um, in the way that he requires. Um, so first I want you to see in verses one through five that repentance brings restoration. Repentance brings restoration. Let me show you what I mean here. Um, look at our response. When I say our, I mean God's people. So this is the way Israel will respond to God's discipline eventually. Um, so look at verses one and two. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and you obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. So these three verbs that we see, the people of God, once they recognize and see, hey, it all happened exactly how God said it was gonna happen. We rebelled, we experienced the curses that we saw in the last couple of chapters, and now, what are we, what are we supposed to do with that? And so they do three things. They remember, they call to mind, verse one. They return, and they obey. Remember, they return, and they obey. Flip over to the, re- to the scripture that we read, that Lance read for us um, earlier. Luke 15, the prodigal son. A familiar passage, but I want you to see, this is a pattern. This is the pattern of our response to God's discipline when we sin. So Luke 15, verses 17 through 19, we see the son's response. So remember, he's, he's run off, he's squandered his father's wealth, He's off and he's, he's totally blown it. Now he's feeding pigs, wishing he could eat what the pigs were eating. Look at verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he comes to his senses, he remembers, he calls to mind, right? This is, it shouldn't be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. And then he returns. He says, I'm gonna get back up and go to my father. And then he says, I'm gonna obey. Make me as one of your hired men. Let me serve you, right? So remembering, returning, and obeying. So that's repentance, right? That's what repentance looks like. And then see God's response here, and this is the key. This is what it's all about. Um, Look at God's response to our repentance. Look at verses three through five of Deuteronomy 30. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he'll bring you back. Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. 
So the actions that we take, we remember, we return, we obey. And what's God's response to that? Does he scold us? Does he say, I told you not to run off? Shouldn't have done it. No, no. He has compassion. He restores us. He gathers us. He prospers us. He multiplies us, right? And you see this, right? Flip back if your finger's still there to Luke 15. And I lost it, so I'm going back. Uh, Back to Luke 15. See the father's response when the son returns. He's got every right to say, you shouldn't have done it. You knew you shouldn't have done it. Right? And I think we, we put that on ourselves sometimes, right? We, we scold ourselves. We don't receive God's grace. Instead, we, we tell ourselves, I, I knew better. I should have done better. We kind of discipline ourselves. When what's God's response to our returning, our repenting and our returning to him? Look at what the father does in Luke 15, starting verse 20. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. So do you see that? Father restores him. He shows compassion. He gives his best, right? He's running to meet him in his repentance. He's running to meet him, to, not to tell him, I told you so, but to tell him, welcome. I'm so glad you're back. He shows compassion on him. He gives him all these things. He embraces him, kisses him, rejoices over him, throws a party. He doesn't even let him get out. You see there in 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. The son can't even get it out to say, make me as one of your hired men before the father's throwing a party. Um, That's what repentance brings. Repentance brings restoration. Um, We have these truths, right? We know 1 John 1, 9 is a guarantee for the believer. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time, every time. You confess, he forgives every single time. And if you think that the next time you don't deserve it, you didn't deserve it the first time. Our life is and will continue to be one of coming to our senses, returning to God, and obeying him. Right? Monday morning, I hope you come to your senses, return to God, and obey him. Right? Day by day by day. And he's not frustrated by that. He's not frustrated by you needing to keep doing it every single day. Right? He prescribes it, and he's rejoicing over it. He's overjoyed to receive you again. And look, at, look back at the passage. How much does God desire this for his people? How much does God desire to restore his people when they repent? Look at verse four. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there, the Lord your God will gather you. And from there, he'll bring you back. He will stop at nothing. Nothing. Repentance brings restoration. So, let's move on. Number two, God does not abandon his people when we sin. God does not abandon his people when we sin. Um, probably grammatically correct would have been to say when they sin, but it's us, right? We're, we're the ones that sin. Let's be real clear about that. So we have a passage here where Moses, where God through Moses is outlining the future rebellion of Israel. Okay, this is not a good start, right? You think about that, that sentence, so it shall be, when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, 
and you're banished to all these nations across the world. They're entering the promised land, right? And God's saying, now let me tell you about what happens when you're banished to all the nations of the earth, right? He's talking about the rebellion of Israel, right? And in a passage where God is outlining the rebellion of the Israelites, where he's explaining the end result of walking away from him, he's not distant. Let me show you where I see that. Um, This is a place where in our culture, right, we would expect Israel to be canceled, to be cut off, to be totally removed, right? 15 times in this passage, you get the phrase, the Lord, your God, Jehovah, your God. Not just Jehovah, not just Yahweh, Jehovah, your God, right? When he's describing these times when you are going to walk away, you're gonna be stuck in these nations wishing you could come back, right? Wishing you could eat the slop that the pigs are eating. But he says, the Lord, your God. Verse one, verse two, twice in verse three, verse four, verse five, twice in verse six, verse seven, verse nine, twice in verse 10, twice in verse 16, and once in verse 20. The Lord, your God, Jehovah, your God. And why is that important? Well, number one, because it's your God, right? He's saying, I'm not abandoning you. You're gonna abandon me, I'm not abandoning you. But Jehovah, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, right? I am who I am. He said, your faithlessness, you know where I'm gonna be in your faithlessness? Faithful, still. Right in the midst of it. And this is not unique to Israel, right? This is who our God is. This is his character. He doesn't run out on us when we fail him. When we, when we are faithless to him. Go back to Genesis 2, Genesis 3. In the garden, right? Adam and Eve, what do they do? They rebel. They choose their own way over the way that God's clearly set in front of them. And what does God do? One chapter later, right? He makes a way. He makes a way for them to be restored. He provides salvation despite their rebellion. Why does he do that? Because he knows this people, they really have potential, right? No. These are great guys. You just got to get to know them. They're really great guys. No. Because God is faithful. Because God is faithful. Turn to Deuteronomy 7. We've been here, but it's been a while. You've got to know this about Israel, and you've got to know this about you, about us, about Lagos. Deuteronomy 7. Look in verse seven. The Lord, Jehovah, did not set his love on you, or did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were but the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If you're in God's family, it is not because you're great. Right? Paul would argue in the New Testament, it's because you're not great. Because God's able to demonstrate his greatness in our not greatness. Um, that's, that's where we sit, right? God doesn't keep sticking with us and keep being faithful to us because we've got something going for us. He does it because he's faithful, because he's set his love on us and he doesn't change. So rejoice in this, Christian, that God will not abandon you. You cannot out the grace of God. And there will never be a time when you come to him in honest repentance that he will reject you. Never. So let's all become seasoned repenters. 
Let's get good at it. That's what we have in common, right? We're the repenters and believers in the world. That's the church. So let's get good at it. Stop acting like we don't need to repent, right? Done that once. Oh, be a regular recipient of God's unending grace. He's ready. He's ready to kill the fatted calf again and again and again. So keep coming back. God does not abandon his people when we sin. Third, I want you to see salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Look at verse six. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. We got there a couple of weeks ago that the whole point of this covenant is that Israel can't keep it, right? They're supposed to recognize, we can't do this. This is, we can't in our flesh. We need help. Um, and see God providing that help in verse six. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Circumcise your heart. And so you don't think that it's just here. It's just at the point of salvation. God's the actor here. Who, who banished the people of Israel to the nations? God did. Right? Who scattered them abroad? God did. Who restored them and prospered them and multiplied them? God did. And then who's the one who circumcises their hearts? God is. Right? At every point of salvation, it's God doing the work. Right? In us and in the people of Israel. Um, God's the one who circumcises the hearts of his people to be able to love and obey him. Right, so see what's happening there in verse six. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. If we don't have a circumcised heart, we can't love God with all of our heart and soul. If God hasn't done a work in our heart, we can't love God with everything we have. We can't obey God in all the ways that he's prescribed if he hasn't already done something. I want you to compare this to the, way, to the language we hear in Deuteronomy 6, um, that first passage of love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Um, so turn, turn to Deuteronomy 6. We'll start in verse 3. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your heart and on your gates. So in Deuteronomy 6, in that passage, we're seeing that we need to, that the people of Israel, that God's people need to love and obey God in order that they may live and multiply, okay? So pretty simple formula there, right? You love and obey God with everything you have, you get to live in the land and multiply, okay? And then we know it doesn't happen Right? We can't do it. We can't keep those commands. The people of Israel sure can't keep those commands. So here we get grace in Deuteronomy 30. Look again at verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. So in Deuteronomy 6, we had love and obey God so that you may live and multiply. In Deuteronomy 30, we have God will circumcise your heart to be able to love and obey God so that you can live and multiply. You see that? God does a work in our heart for us to even be able to keep his commands, for us to be able to prosper. God's the one who does the work of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see this as recipients. If you're in Christ, you know this, right? You're a recipient of that grace. You know. Who's the one who showed you your need? God did. Who's the one who softened your heart to desire him? God did. Who's the one who gave you faith to believe? God did. Who's the one who declared you righteous by Christ's work on the cross? God. Who's the one who made you holy, or who is making you holy through the work of the Holy Spirit? God is. And who's the one who's going to finish the work and glorify us on the last day? God is. Right? Ephesians 2.8. Salvation's a gift of God. Um, look at Revelation 5. Revelation 5, starting in verse 9. is a scene in heaven. They're singing a song to the Lamb. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. For you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Who's doing the work? Christ is, right? God does the work of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then Philippians 1.6 And you ought to plaster this in your house. Um, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to finish the work. It's still happening, and he's going to finish it. He finishes what he starts. God's faithful. He's going to do it. So we get to take no credit, but we get to keep falling on the grace of the circumciser of our hearts. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Fourth, I want you to see God's purposes for his people are for life. God's purposes for his people are for life. Throughout the text, we see God's heart revealed. I said that at the start. We get to see the character of God laid out and then our response to that. What we see, I think, primarily here. Um, we get to see the why of what he's doing, the why of what he's commanding. Four different times in the text, verse 6, verse 16, verse 19, and verse 20, we get this phrase, that you may live, that you may live. God desires life for his people. God desires life for his people. In verse 6, he says he's going to circumcise our heart to love so that you may live. Verse 16, he commands to love and walk and keep these commandments that you may live. Verse 19, choose life in order that you may live. Verse 20, love and obey and hold fast to him that you may live. God desires life for his people. Look to the New Testament. Uh, The book of John, he lays it out in uh, in John 20, 31. He lays out his purpose for writing the book. You may believe And in believing, you may have life in his name. So the book of John is written that we may believe and in believing, we may have life. 
in Christ's name. Um, and then in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the purpose statement of Jesus' ministry, right? Why is Jesus here? He said, I'm here so you can have life, life abundantly, life to the full. Then the whole book of John, I'm going to run through a few of these, but chase them down yourself also. Chapter 1, in him was life. John 3, believe for eternal life. John 4, Jesus is the well that springs up to eternal life. Chapter 5, the son gives life to whom he wishes. Again in chapter 5, the father and the son have life in themselves. Again in chapter 5, scripture that testif- the scriptures that testify about eternal life testify about Jesus. Next verse, come to Jesus for life. Chapter 6, Jesus is the bread of life. If you do the will of the Father, or the will of the Father is whoever beholds and believes the Son will have eternal life. Again in chapter 6, believe and have life. Eat my flesh and drink my blood for eternal life. In chapter 6, Jesus has the words of eternal life. Chapter 8, follow me and you'll have the light of life. Chapter 10, Jesus gives eternal life. Chapter 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In John 17, 3, he defines what, what is this life? What is this life? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life, the life that God desires for his people is to know him. And he lays it out here in Deuteronomy 30, that I want you to have life. I want you to have life by obeying me, by following me, by knowing me. I want you to have life. How passionate, how zealous is God for his people to have life? Look at John 3.16, one we probably all have memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God desires us, his people, to have life. Real life, real knowing God life. Enough to send his own son to die for us. God's purposes for his people are for life. His commands are for life. His gift of salvation is for life. And he himself is our life. His purposes for his people are for life. Moving on. We see that God's plans are bigger than we could ever imagine. God's plans are bigger than we could ever imagine. So we know this story, right? This is uh, at some level a warning to God's people and at some level prophetic of what's going to happen, right? Um, God's people do rebel. They do end up banished, scattered to the ends of the earth, right? Remember some guys like the Babylonians, right? Some of those, um, some of those folks that held them captive at the ends of the earth. And then in the days of Nehemiah, we start to see a partial fulfillment of God's promise to restore if his people repent. Nehemiah actually quotes from this passage, praying to God that he would make a move. Um, but we don't see the full fulfillment. We do see some level of repentance. We see some level of restoration. Um, but even then, even after that, God's people are characterized by hard-heartedness and sin. 
Think about the words that Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, right? Um, you whitewash tombs. You proclaim with, my, with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Um, it's not until Christ comes on the scene that we start to see that heart circumcision in full. We start to see what does it look like when the kingdom breaks through and when hearts start to be circumcised and we start to desire loving God. We start to desire God. Um, and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, right? And we see like that fresh revelation of what that looks like. But listen to the, to the character of our God. Okay, so we see in verse uh, four and five, he's promising that he's gonna restore even from the ends of the earth, right? He's gonna bring him back even from the ends of the earth. Um, but look to Isaiah 49. I think it's gonna be on the screen. Um, Isaiah 49, verses five and six. So this is prophesying of Christ's coming um, to restore Israel, to do what's promised here. Listen to these verses. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, so this is Christ speaking, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. Listen to what God says. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too small. Like, that's our God. Our God who says, yeah, I see that, but you know what? It'd be bigger if we did it this way. That's a little too small for me, okay? Not too small for me to care about, but if he's gonna do something, he's gonna blow it out of the water, okay? He's gonna display his glory. He's gonna show everybody um, who he is, right? He's not just gonna meet expectations. He's gonna blow them away. He's gonna get all the glory. And we see that all through scripture, right? Remember the story of Gideon? We just did it a couple of weeks ago in an extended session with the three, four, and five-year-olds. Gideon's got this big army, right? He's ready to take on the Midianites. He's ready to go. I mean, reluctantly, but he's ready to lead. And what does God tell him? It's too big. You got too many people. Like, what kind of military strategy is that? You just got too many people. Your army's just too big. Tell you what, let's knock it down. Okay, and he takes them down to 300 men, 300, to take on a whole army. And then he arms them with what? Not swords and shields and spears, with torches and with jars. Like, great, can't wait to fight. This is gonna be fantastic. Right, but this is our God because Gideon gets no credit for that. Right? That is a silly strategy by all of what man would say. But when God does something, when God confuses the Midianites and leads them to kill each other, right? he uses their own weapons against them, God gets the credit for that. All through scripture, right? Why would you choose a young virgin girl to carry the Messiah? Right? But, but God does that. He, he works in a way so that only he could get the glory. So it's too small a thing to just restore Israel. What's he gonna do? He's gonna make the servant, he's gonna make Christ a light to the nation, proclaim salvation to the ends of the earth. And we see, number one, that that's still happening, right? His salvation is still being proclaimed to the ends of the earth. It came last week, right, to hear about God's mission in the world. We care about that because Christ is salvation to the nations. Christ is a light to the nations. We're here.
because it was too small a thing for God to just restore Israel. Right? Praise God that it was too small a thing for him to just restore Israel, but that he made Christ a light to the nations. And the reality here, and I hope if you've been following Deuteronomy, God's faithfulness is all over the place. He is faithful. What he says he's going to do, he does it. Um, But go to the text that we read that Brother David preached last week, Revelation 7. This is the full fulfillment of Deuteronomy 30. Revelation 7 is the full fulfillment of Deuteronomy 30. Look at verses 9 and 10. After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. They cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the restoration of God's people goes beyond Israel. And we see it in fullness when, uh, when the church is gathered together, Christ's return, um, from all nations, tribes, and tongues. It will be fulfilled. Um, God's plans are bigger than we could ever imagine. Praise God. So now, we've seen God's character on full display. We've seen his power, his love, his compassion, his sovereignty. He doesn't run out on us. Um, He desires life for us. Um, He works in a way that only he's going to get the glory. What do we do with that? How do we respond? Let's read verses 11 through 20. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It's not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. The word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you, that you may observe it. So we get there in those couple of verses, the, the command is very clear, right? It's, it's very clear what's being said here. There's two paths. There's obedience, there's disobedience. There's submission to God and there's everything else. Keep, keep reading. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. There's two paths. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you're entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away, you will not obey but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing the Jordan to enter it and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give him. You have a choice to make. And the choice is very, very clear. There's no middle ground. There's no fence to sit on. Life and prosperity, death and adversity. So to the one who doesn't yet know Christ, who's sitting here, 
who's seen God's character this morning. You haven't given him your life yet. You've never remembered him. You've never come to your senses. You've never turned to him and obeyed him with all your heart. Choose life. Today is the day. Today is the day to choose life. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. This is all you're promised right now. Now is the right time to turn away from your sin, to trust in the one who died so that you may live, desires life for you. And to the believers in the room, we have things to to work through from this too, right? Choose life. Command is clear. Choose life. How do we do that? How do we choose life? Well, verse 20 says, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. Loving God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. Believer, there's more of God for you than you're experiencing today. He desires to give you more of himself than you're experiencing today. Every one of us. You have not maxed out who God is. You have not maxed out intimacy with Jesus. And you won't, praise the Lord. There's more. There's deeper that you can go in knowledge and in intimacy with him. Remember John 17, 3. What is eternal life? This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. We get to do that now. Right? We know him and we get to keep knowing him from now through eternity. So press in. Know God more. Spend your life knowing him. Can you imagine that at your funeral? I don't know much about what this guy did, but he knew God. Right? He wasn't much anything, but he knew God. Spend your life knowing him. Verse 17 makes it clear, and we know this. Our hearts are prone to wonder. But God is ready to restore us and to prosper us. Keep turning to him. Keep coming to him in repentance. Keep coming to him in humility. Live a life of holding fast to him. Look at Hebrews 12, one through three, and it'll be on the screen too. Therefore, since we, know, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Paul and Thessalonians would say, excel still more. There's more. There's faster, there's harder you can run. Um, and then look at Colossians 3, 4. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So fix your eyes on Jesus, who is our life. Day by day, moment by moment, by his grace, choose Jesus, choose life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, God, that you allow us to be part of your family. You've made a way for us to know you, 
for us to experience you. Pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, God. Pray that you would convict us of sin or that you would reveal the areas where we've been holding back from you, Lord, where we've been not giving you everything we have, Lord, and pray that you would help us, God, by your grace to choose life. For the ones in the room that don't know you yet, God, I pray that today would be the day of repentance. Today would be the day of restoration. Today would be the day where for the first time they get to see you, God, running toward them, ready to receive them. Praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.